Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. From earaches to strep tests, there's Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. 
It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's another film study. This time it's the offense. Still looking at week four as we headed down to play the Washington football team. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing great. Uh, join us this week. We'll get right into it. It's Alec Pulianis from Ravens Recap. Alec, how you doing? I'm doing great. Super excited to join you this time uh, for the season after a, a long off season of anticipating it. Well, we're thrilled to have you, Alec. And of course, we did a lot of shorts over the off season, a lot of preview of various positional groups and some other stuff too. Uh, I've been on your show at least once or twice now, right? Yep. Once. And uh, and uh, really appreciate doing that, and uh, always like having you on. Oh, it's it's a thrill. Let's get into it. Uh, all right. Well, before we get into that, I wanted to ask you guys, kind of a softball going into this is we know coming out there was lots of disappointment. And is that because we, as fans, were expecting too much as a bounce-back game against the Chiefs going into this game? I mean, I'll start. I think so. But, but I, you know, I, I, if you're upset about a two-touchdown win, particularly one that's a three-touchdown win drained down to a two-touchdown win, I don't know how to make you happy. <laughs> Can you say great? Uh, people were losing their minds after the Chiefs game. They forget that they just won the Super Bowl. They're extremely good. Um I don't, I don't understand it. Like, they're a good team. What do you expect? Obviously, there's plenty of room to improve, but this is great. Like, the best outcome for the Ravens was to lose that game or win in a total landslide, right? Because then you have the opportunity to learn. You're going to see them again. You're trying to earn the privilege of seeing them again. And in a COVID year, yes, you lost the one-and-a-half game, but you're not worried about home field as much. You're not worried about um, some of those things. So... <sighs> I don't know. People just losing their mind for this game. Like you said, two touchdowns um, could have been more if I think we tried harder. Honestly, I think mm-hmm. we weren't. We had injuries on our side, um, particularly, you know, an offense that changed the game plan. I, I was fine with it. You're playing a middling team that's trying to find themselves. Um, you know, it, You're I being very upset. sensitive to the Washington football team to call them a middling team. Uh, so. I honestly think that if they had a quarterback, right, and they would be a, a draft or two away from maybe being a, a playoff team. <laughs> I honestly, I honestly think that maybe I'm I'm way off base. It's 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 but... okay. It's just it's just you've you've put so many conditions upon that. It's like the, the old joke about a baseball team. We're only two players away from a world championship here: Babe Ruth and Sandy Koufax. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're you're right. You, you I ask put... a lot. Finding a quarterback's hard. You put Mahomes on any team in the NFL, and they're a draft or two pick away. Yeah. Oh, sure. Definitely. But even like, I don't know. Uh, honestly, Teddy Bridgewater. I think if you put Teddy Bridgewater on that team with the weapons they have, it could be much more interesting than uh, Dwayne Haskins. Okay. They've got a bad quarterback. <laughs> we agree with that. I, I, Peter King came out with kind of a, what I thought was kind of a silly tweet after the game. He said, the Ravens are 0-6. It's not that anything is wrong about this, but they're 0-6 in games where they trail at halftime. 
And then he, he went into the thing. There's a lot of bl- the blame is 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 easy to spread around or words to that effect. Is there's a oh. there's a lot of places where blame is. Here. And I'm like, really? Oh, and six. First of all, sample size. Think. Okay. Second of all, um, that's all the losses under Lamar. So when tied or leading after halftime, tied or leading because there's <laughs> been several ties, they are 22 and 0 with Lamar Jackson. I mean, really, just take a look both ways. And there's games there that they've they've trailed after halftime after being either tied or leading at halftime. Right. One of the things just kind of makes me upset. Okay, let's, right. let's, <laughs> jump on. Let's, let's jump into Sunday's game and the Washington football team. The Washington football team. We'll just do that. You have you definitely have a specific accent there. I've, I've, I noticed in the last show the, the Washington thing again. That, Ken, that, that's a Baltimore accent. Is it really? Okay. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, I grew up here. And I, okay. <laughs> then I don't know why you don't say Washington. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm not sure either, but yeah, I don't. It's, it's very specific to the team that we cover and the city. Okay. All right. Uh, I probably ought to be careful about that then. Uh, let's talk offensive line play. We'll start there. Uh, this is a game where, you know, it seemed like the offensive line play was better for a couple of reasons. One is they only allowed one sack, uh, the, the Ravens did in the game, and that one sack wasn't charged to the offensive line. It came on a free runner. Actually, it came on a situation where Lamar rolled out of the pocket on a naked boot. And, you know, that there's – you wouldn't think that, that – that, the grades could be that bad, but they had a, a season-high 30 yards of penalties that contributed to it. Uh, they allowed five pressures, which is a little bit more than they had been allowing. Uh, they had 31 missed blocks in what's a relatively short amount of game, and those are the major contributors to creating some lower grades this time. So I level set you on what's going on here. Overall, the Ravens gave uh, Jackson and Griffin ample time on space of just six of 24 throws, six of 23 for Jackson. Uh, that's low by today's standards at 25%. Today's standard is more like 35%. So uh, not a good opportunity set for those quarterbacks. Uh, I think they did a much better job in terms of run blocking. Yeah, the run blocking this year has been the highlight, um, in my opinion. It's been the pass blocking where we've seen some up and down play. And I think, though, the way that they transitioned, uh, you know, just kind of jumping to flipping the tackles, Right. Um, Orlando Bannon Jr. flipping and then uh, Fluker coming in on the right side. Uh, I was pretty impressed overall with how well they gelled. Um, I don't know how often they've practiced in that formation this week, but it was pretty impressive. That must be how they did it. You know, once they knew Stanley was out, they had to have somebody playing left tackle. And it was a surprising non-activation of Will Holden. They had him protected either for one or two of the four weeks already. And they didn't activate him, even though they could have without any kind of consequences to it because it would have been only the first activation of it so it's very surprising from that perspective and it really begs the question is what the hell were they going to do if either fluker or brown had gotten hurt so you know yeah. who is who is next up a tackle and you know it was an, it was just it was an interesting move and they really were playing without a net in that regard they also played without a net at safety they entered game with only three guys that they were willing to play at safety and one of them got hurt on the very first series and that meant they had to put board in as a as a emergency safety on the first series of the game, which mm. obviously shouldn't happen. And then when you think about that, one of their two remaining safeties is also their only reserve cornerback of any real note, and that's Jimmy Smith. You know, they yeah. ended up put, putting in Khalil Dorsey. So odd set of activations for this game, I'm going to say. I am pretty so- uh, pretty shocked that Nigel Warrior and Geno Stone have not been activated in one mm-hmm. way or another. It makes no sense to me. Um yeah, I, I agree. 
Warriors protected this week. Uh, you know, Stone is obviously on the roster and available. And, you know, back-end safety is what he could do. So if you, if you want a guy who you think you can trust for 35% of the snaps, which would be the approximate amount of dime they would play, then it seems like Ward would be the guy, unless Warrior's the guy in practice who you think looks better. Both of them are there. Both of them are practicing. You know, it's, it is a pretty good chance they have a guy they like from those two, and that guy should probably be active at this point anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with you. We were talking about the offensive line, weren't we? How did, yeah, we, how did you take us down this path anyway, Alec? What well, kind you, of guest you, are you? You talked you talk about <laughs> Will. That's what happened. Right. <laughs> they didn't bring up Will Holden. I don't know what I don't know. I think they just don't like him. I honestly think that they have him around as an insurance policy they never wish to cash. Yeah. Um and I I honestly think they'd rather go with like McCarry or something on the outside, which I think would be scary. Uh but very I, I I honestly don't know what they're doing in that regard. It's it's it is really scary because the um, uh, Will Holden's been released seven times. Uh, sorry, eight times by seven teams now. So the Ravens are his seventh organization. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Because they they've released him now. They've one of the teams that have released him too. So uh, yeah, there is there is seventh team in a four year career. So it, it, there's nothing exciting about what he ever did at left tackle, but it would allow the Ravens to make that one-for-one one change uh, that they, they typically like to do. I thought Brown did a terrific job filling in. Uh, not everything is right up his alley in terms of what he can do, but he didn't allow any pressures in 24 snaps, and that's really terrific. That'd be great for Stanley, not just, not just for Brown. A little bit of a shorter game, still exceptional. Uh, what he did allow is he allowed two penetrations. Uh, those are times when he allowed a play to be made on the backfield on his watch on a run play for a loss. So he had two of those. He also had a false start in the game, as, as I'm sure everybody saw. And, uh, you know, otherwise, a very clean game. Um, those are some deductions there. He had five missed blocks. Uh, works out to a B-minus after a fairly significant adjustment. I always felt like I was chintzy on the adjustment because I give him one more point, he gets a B. But... Uh, on the other hand, uh, I gave him a pretty beefy adjustment as it was. Uh, obviously, playing out of position, there's some good things to like about him, but uh, but that's where I felt his his grade really belonged. So I want to ask you about something I see in your notes sure. that you said he lacks the quickness to make seal blocks off the left edge. Yeah, because one of the biggest things that came to mind after this performance was, well, I think his price tag just went up because now there's film of him playing left tackle in the NFL pretty well. Right. Um, and, you know, we've always talked about how they're going to retain all these players. They can't. Um, and I was wondering, is he someone that they're worried about or is the Stanley negotiations going poorly enough that they're legitimately considering this option? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really even a possibility. I, it's let's, let's start with I, I really don't think they can lose Stanley. I think they need to keep him. I think he's too central to the long term success, success of Lamar. To really have that him be not on the team, but I understand they're a long way away, and it could legitimately be a chance where they have to draft another left tackle. I think that would be the next likely choice of circumstances. I think Brown ending up on the left side is actually quite unlikely. What, what one thing you notice here, and that is a big difference in in terms of working with Lamar, is Brown just does not have the quickness to get out on the edge and seal that player, seal that defender, whether it's at level one or at level two again. 
Um, it's just it's he does not have the quickness to do it. And one of the the um, uh, two penetrations was really an instance of that where the guy got outside and 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 took Lamar down. Anyway, I, I, I you know. This should underscore the need for Stanley as much as it's a wonderful relief to see Brown play for, well for this one game. Mm-hmm. Well said. All right, let's move on. Bozeman. Bozeman hadn't had a bad game in a long time, and he hadn't had a C in about, I don't know, um, 12, 13 games, something like that. Now he had a D, and you have to go back even further, obviously, for that. I believe there was, he had one more. It was about in week might have been week 10 of last year. He had a he had a D. I have to look at my chart, but I'm not going to do that right now. Anyway, nine missed blocks in this game, which is a lot. That's obviously one of the big problems. He did surrender a quarterback hit, and he had a pressure. Uh, and since he left the game early in particular, uh, he was just 31 of 47 in terms of points earned, uh, even with a fairly significant adjustment. And he played on the inside where he've got a lot of Allen and Settle um, you know, on, on those snaps. Um, I can't give him a huge adjustment for that. So uh, 0.71 is the is the after adjustment score. He got a D. Uh, four level two blocks, five of five on poles. Very nice to see him score well in terms of mobility blocks. I thought he did did well in those terms. He also had two highlight blocks. I believe both of them were combinations. Have to look at that again. Uh, but but did some good things. It's not like he didn't do anything well. It just wasn't overall a well scoring game for Bozeman. It's his first in a long time. Yeah, that's right. And. You saw that he got some credit on the telecast when he was one of the key blocks to spring Lamar for his 50-yard run. Um, but overall, like you said, he did have some struggles uh, building off of last week's struggles. Um, I do anticipate he'll, he'll come back. I, I'm not concerned about him uh, at this point. But, um, yep, that's a, that's the trend right now. Yeah, the, the, uh, the run right for 50. So he pulled. And he had a did not overcommit to the level two block, and he stayed with it for a good long time, long past the point where Lamar was gone. I really like to see that out of any any lineman, but in particular a uh, guards who can tend to get lungy in level two, uh, they, they, that they don't use their size and positioning well enough, as opposed to trying to go to the legs and cut block the guy or just you know give him a real hard push that can also be ineffective as well. Just generally speaking, maintaining good position is usually more valuable and a non-lungy guard like that non-lungy move is worth noting. All right, let's move on. Uh, Matt Skura has now played three consecutive pretty darn good games here. So he's after a F in week one, he's had, I believe, an A and two Bs. Might have been an A minus and two Bs, but we don't need to look at that that with that kind of granularity. He had no negative events other than the false start penalty, which happened fairly late in the game. Uh, connected on one of two poles, three blocks in level two. And his score, oddly enough, worked out to be exactly identical to last week, which is a .84 base with the same adjustment. So uh, be again in this game for Skura. Now, in your adjustments, uh, when you do a false start and you're the guy responsible for snapping the ball, is that worse? I'm asking like legitimately if that's worse in your scoring. I, I, you know, I don't make any distinction because I don't think there is any reason why it would be worse. And, and you know, one thing we could talk about briefly is that a false start penalty relative to other five-yard post-snap penalties is actually less significant. And the idea, I, mean, I think we may have had this discussion before, but if, if you have a false start penalty, it's five yards. If you have a, a illegal man downfield penalty, which is also a five-yard penalty, it's five yards unless the defense likes the result of the play better. 
So it's the optionality of that penalty is not really fully captured in my system. I still charge them as uh, five, sorry, uh, this, the same deduction for a five, 10 or 15 yard penalty uh, at, in, in per yard on a per yard basis. And what, I, what I've been thinking about doing for several years is changing the, a five yard pre-snap penalty to minus two. And then if there's optionality on the penalty, have an additional two point deduction. So a holding penalty would still be the same, but a false start penalty would be reduced in importance slightly. So anyway... Okay. Yeah, just my thinking. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we have uh, Phillips uh, had a, had his best game of the year last year or last week against the Chiefs. Took a big step backward this week. Uh, two and a half pressures, a quarterback hit, six missed blocks. Uh, scored a D in this game. It was kind of towards the low end of the range as well. Uh, didn't pull effectively. In fact, one of the pressures he allowed was on a pull, an odd P minus two on a pull block for a for a pressure pulling on a pass play is rare enough, but to, but to also, you know, give up a pressure on that play is a little odd. So anyway, uh, D for him, I don't have a lot to say other than his mobility numbers were again down, uh, you know, two out of five on pulling obviously is bad, but he also only made one level two block. Uh, there were opportunities in this game to get into level two and make some blocks. He just didn't convert any of them. And, uh, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, his preseason's now over. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I heard, uh, Justin Jefferson for the, um, the Vikings was talking about, Oh, I'm now, I'm now done my preseason. And now, mm-hmm. um, you know, he started turning it on the last two games. Uh, obviously it seems like Fluker has had kind of two games, uh, this year where we've kind of been like, what's going on with this guy. Um, but he's a rookie and he seems to have a lot of talent. Um, yeah, I, I hope he has a bounce back game next week against the Bengals. Yeah, I, I hope so, too, because we saw something at right tackle. And I think you said Fluker there. You really meant Phillips, but I oh, want to sorry. get on to yeah. no, Fluker. No, it's fine. Yeah. I want to get on to Fluker anyway and, and just be, make clear that Fluker uh, was having a fantastic game prior to about the last 10 minutes when he had two holding penalties. The two holding penalties are pretty serious deductions. They lowered his grade to a D for the game. Without those two, he'd had an A. So it's a big difference in terms of, of what happened there. I look at this game from Fluker and say, I, I'm not really that concerned about the grade, obviously, because in, in part, those holding penalties came in garbage time. I'm more interested about what I saw qualitatively from him as a blocker in this case. And what I saw was some amazing ability for a guard to pivot the defender who he's trying to seal. And so we saw him on the right edge a couple of times pivot a guy. And, you know, Yanda was, was a you know brilliant at this and be able to pivot the guy right through and open the front gate for a right-handed running game. Well, Fluker had responsibility for that on two separate occasions, and he pivoted a guy 180 degrees both times. And, and you know, it's, it's one thing to, like, pivot him and get to maybe about 45 degrees or even 60 degrees on, on that pivot. Well, you don't have quite have the seal done, but it's effective enough. The runner's by and gone. He kept going and, and pivoted him all the way towards so he's maintaining that block and getting him, uh, you know, stuck in the backfield when the runner's somewhat downfield. So uh, those, are, those are just... Beautiful highlight blocks. Yeah, it makes you kind of question, okay, they played their cards. You now know that Fluker's role is to fill in as a tackle um, if an injury happens. And, I mean, maybe if, if a guard went down, they'd bring him in. But you have to wonder, right? Is he the play at guard that takes a team over the top? And are we kind of handicapping ourselves for a scenario that might not happen? Um, yeah, it I, I hear you. 
It's a, it's a really legitimate question, and and I think if Phillips were to continue to be unimpressive for several more weeks, and maybe maybe the, the time you do it is for the Pittsburgh game right after the bye, because that takes him through to week seven, so it's three more weeks of of that's right, three more weeks, or is it only two more weeks? No, week yeah, seven three more is the bye. Of, yep. It's two. It's two more weeks of games. So so it's so seven is the bye, and then eight is Pittsburgh. So if they, you know, if they do that, then it could be only two more games that Phillips has to turn this around. So hopefully he gets it done. The Eagles a very tough uh, out for him in terms of a, of a good grade. He should have better luck, I think, with Cincinnati this week, particularly if Geno Atkins isn't, isn't active again. But uh, he did have, you know, a, a very solid set of opponents this week. Uh, it just it, it didn't work out that well for him. And, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I am where I am on that. With with Fluker, I think we've said what we need to do. Is there anything else about special blocks that I want to point out to? A couple of high-level books. Fluker pulled three out of three times from tackle in this game, which is unusual, but again is an indication that, hey, maybe he's got the mobility that the Ravens need at guard as well. Yeah, we saw the work he did in the offseason, and I honestly thought that was going to be their play, is him at guard. Uh, and I started hearing the rumblings from Jeff Zarebeck suggesting Phillips would be the guy, and... Uh, and that's what happened. So now I think it's clear they're they're holding him for injuries. But like you said, you know, maybe it's time to bring him in. So I think the buy is a perfect place to do that substitution if they make it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's if there's anybody they like out there who, if Holden is not the guy that could get a tackle. I know Cleveland's a lot of teams around the NFL, by the way, have been have been um, protecting a tackle. But uh, Greg Sinat is being protected by Cleveland currently, so he's he'd be available and would be a possibility. He's he's probably a step down from Fluker, I would have to guess, in terms of his ability to play tackle, but not necessarily to play left tackle. So that might really matter if something were to happen additionally. Hopefully, we hold our breath. Everything's right with Stanley this next week, and, and life is good the rest of the year. But, uh, but boy, it, it, it's not feeling real comfortable right now. No. Uh, we won't we won't feel comfortable again <laughs> until this season's <laughs> over. Um, That's true. It's just honestly, yeah, one bad play and things can fall apart quick. And we, I mean, it's not like anybody really didn't predict that Stanley would miss time. Stanley's missed like a game or two every single year, so it's you know it's not un, unexpected. Yeah, hopefully, just get it out of the way. All right, uh, Patrick McCary came in uh, for seven plays, made five of his blocks, two of two pulls. Uh, some good things to like here. He got shed on one play, and that's always something I'm I'm look on the lookout for, given his arm length issues. But uh, uh, you know, he's a guy who probably can step in at guard uh, if needed at some point, or maybe even center if that's the case. Uh, and hopefully, it won't be. Powers came in, made all four blocks, including a pancake on a pole. He looked pretty damn good. And I, I know there are obviously questions about who powers is, but there's another option at guard there. You know, you have McCary and he didn't look bad in, in the time he's had, he's generally been the first man up powers, uh, you know, has been active all the games. He's played a little bit, just a handful of snaps, honestly, but we've never seen anything from him in a live game. That was truly bad. I mean, he's, he's, he's been only good. I mean, I keep wondering, you know, when are we going to see, when are we going to get to see what the coaches already see, you know, obviously as a player who's just not quite ready to step in at guard. And they, you know, they have a guy again, Phillips. Maybe, what if Fluker isn't the guy at guard? What if they, they're really the plan is to keep him at tackle and, and make sure that they have the extra guy? Is it totally unreasonable to think that Powers could be the guy who replaced Phillips if, if you know, he continues to struggle? Oh, yeah. I was going to bring it up when we got to him. Yep. 
Powers, I mean, he made that savvy veteran move of pulling Dobbins at the end of the play, try to get him a little extra yardage. And um, like you said, you've never seen anything particularly bad out of him. It seems like there's some ghost around this guy, but whenever he plays live, he's fine. I, I don't really know what's going on there. I would love to like know the story. That's probably one of the number one players on the Ravens that I'm like, what is going on with this guy? I'm sorry, I had myself muted there for a second. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and he's made all six of his blocks this year, and I think he's 25 of 29 in the Pittsburgh finale last year. So uh, he, it's, it's, he's never had a negative event in 35 plays. Not that that's a sample size of any note, but it's but it's worth you know talking about at least that, uh, that, hey, maybe this guy deserves a chance at some point. Yep. You know, it's not a matter of necessarily of him deserving the chance as much as the Ravens needing to know what the hell they have. Um, if if they think there's a chance they could have something here, then they probably ought to be trying to figure it out at the very latest by year three, and he's in year two. Bredesen and Phillips, they have some additional time to figure out what they have there. Yeah, and honestly, I've kind of wondered if there's a place to have more heavy lines. Um, you know, we are, we're traditionally a run Like a, team. a jumbo six-man line? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we have the linemen, it seems. So I'm kind of curious if they've considered those packages. Well, they, they have done them maybe three or four times so far this year with McCarry. Yeah. They, they don't use Powers in them, so it, Powers has to get into the game as a, as a late-game replacement or an injury replacement. And, and so far, he's never been the first injury replacement. He's only been a late-game replacement. They played all eight linemen in this game. Uh, ben Bredesen got his first NFL action. Uh, he of the short arms was shed to the ground on his first NFL snap, uh, not unlike Dorsey in terms of, of what happened to him. He made one of two blocks uh, on the game, and then he was in there also. He's got four snaps in the game book, you'll notice. That's because he was in there for the uh, kneel down plays. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, start to his career. There we go. Yep. Welcome to the NFL. All right. Lamar Jackson, let's move on, talk a little bit about him. Uh, exceptional game. As a passer, as far as I'm concerned, the only the only word on it is that interception at the end of the half, which is you know a bummer, and uh, it's the kind of pass that is not gonna put make him more comfortable throwing back shoulder to the outside outside the numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you can kind of half attribute that to Boykin. Um, he didn't seem fully aware in that play; the ball was coming his way. I think he could have done more to break that up. Um, if he wasn't going to make the catch, I would honestly say I was a little disappointed in Lamar. And and the reason why is the same reason he said he was disappointed of missing these uh, wide open throws. I mean, they weren't hugely open, but when Hollywood Brown has a step, he's open, right? Um, he missed him twice or him. And then right back to uh, Boykin, the next play uh, on some longer plays. And I definitely want to see a little bit more consistency there. Obviously it's not breaking the game. We, handled it well so it's not you know he didn't lose us the game but i agree with him that i definitely want to start seeing those connections click um a little bit more often where the deep ball except for that first one the um the first game for 48 yards to hollywood brown uh he's missed i think nine of of those throws past 25 yards i think that was a statistic so i I definitely want to start seeing some more of those completions yeah I, i i heard that during the game that he'd missed a bunch of throws that were over I thought it was over 20 yards, but one of the, the next gen stats had a, his long from one week of tw- as 26. And I was trying to figure out which game that was might've been against the chiefs. 
and and uh, and I I just I couldn't figure out. But longest completed air yards is one of the things they had. Interesting metrics from next gen. But sorry, I mean to just start it off, he had eight point seven yards per pass net of sacks in this game. That's a terrific number. If he would were to do that all the time, Ravens would win the Super Bowl. I mean he, he uh, his rating was one hundred seven in this game, which is largely a function of the interception more than anything else. But is also a hell of a rating to have. It's right around his career rating, and and we would love for that to continue, obviously. Um, I want to go over three of the next-gen stats, though, and I think we'll talk about each of these individually. The first is 3.03 seconds as time to throw. I'll tell you how I interpret it first, is that he extended plays very effectively. It wasn't a function of the line giving him a ton of time in the pocket. And if this were Joe Flacco or if it were a, 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 a immobile pocket quarterback who is taking that long to throw, you might think it, maybe it's a lot of pocket time. It generally doesn't happen to those guys. Those guys get rid of the ball pretty quickly. They check down pretty quickly because they have that internal clock telling them, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it all the time. In Lamar's case, he's thinking, I can make a play, 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 <laughs> and he's moving around with his legs to create a throwing lane or uh, to wait for a guy to break open so, so he can do that. So I'm really excited when, he, when he's sitting at 3.03 seconds in terms of time to, thro- time to throw. It was, I think, the second highest in the NFL um, this week, so uh, exceptional. And he's, he's right around three for the entire season, which is terrific. So uh, it, when you compare that to the 242 Haskins had in time to throw, I think you see a lot of the difference both in, in style and in the way that those guys are used by their offensive coordinators. It's remarkable how a half second means so much. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It, it's the difference in, in players getting open and completing their routes uh, in some cases. So, yeah. It's definitely good to see his ability to extend plays, um, and we all know that you know next to Mahomes, I don't think there's any better improviser in the league. So uh, that's that's exactly what he needs. Yeah, league has a few improvisers now, and and to be on the top of the list, you know, when when, when this Russell Wilson is out there too, of course. And, yeah, that's, and, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So so the the uh, and and Deshaun Watson, even though he doesn't usually um, he hasn't extended plays in the same way he has this this year. Uh, in the past, I think he's a he's another guy who has some of that in him. But uh, Jackson is really special, and and you know we want to encourage that. And you know you were here for years as a as a as a Ravens fan when the Steelers would have these extended plays with Roethlisberger, who wasn't even a particularly mobile quarterback, but he was certainly very annoying in terms of his <laughs> ability to extend plays. Yeah, you can bring him down. Super frustrating. <laughs> All right. Uh, we go to a second next-gen stats, which was 10.0 completed air yards. So that's the average distance from the line of scrimmage for his, for, for his completions. Second in the entire NFL this week to Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. That's a surprise. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's good. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, pushing it down the field is critical. Um, we, I think we're arguing that they should do it almost even more. Um, or, you know, continue to keep that up. I think that's a number that is not a bad thing um, in the slightest, and it's something to strive towards. Obviously, completing the pass is, is critical, but you have to create those opportunities as well. Right, his intended air yards was, was 14.2. So he, he, he threw the ball even deeper on a lot of the incompletes you mentioned that he, that he missed on some longer passes, both in this game and over the last couple of games, and, and that was 
you know, still there, but you don't have to complete as many when you throw deep. And your screen passes and your swing passes to running backs and your check downs, they're going to be completed at a much higher rate. And they, of course, drag your average down. If you're looking to throw a lot of screen passes, you change the responsibility for who's getting the first down from the quarterback to the running back or to the wide receiver, perhaps. So, you know, Duvernay and Dobbins are players who give you good chances to, to get yardage after the, the, the pass on screen. But a lot of those are delivered, you know, four, five, six yards behind the line of scrimmage. And it, it starts you at a significant disadvantage to, to making big plays occur. Yep. All right. Uh, two great extended plays I want to talk about in this game. And do you want to talk about one and I'll talk about the other kind of thing? I know sure. you, you had this on your list. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. You can go ahead with the uh, the first one, the Andrews. Okay. I mean, the Andrews TD, I, I love for a lot of reasons. I mean, for, for, for starters, uh, it was a long extended play where he was flushed out of the pocket to the left by pressure. Okay. Now, let me just tell you, when a right-handed quarterback uh, gets flushed out of the pocket to the left, my immediate, you know, feeling after watching Joe and, and other right-handed <laughs> quarterbacks for the Ravens all these years has been, oh crap, the play's dead. And he, he rolled left. He got his feet reset. He actually didn't even get his feet reset. He almost kind of, kind of just turned slightly, not his body, but his, but his, but his, but his feet to kind of mm-hmm. turn into the throw uh, and hit Andrews on the move still, meaning he was on the move. Andrews was obviously on the move yeah. uh, right by that left pylon. It was just an absolutely gorgeous throw. And uh, one of the best I think of his career so far. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I challenge any listener to take a football, roll left if you're right-handed, yeah. and try to throw that ball at all, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the amount of yards he put and the zip and the precision. Oh, yeah. Incredible throw. Yeah. There really, there really isn't anybody else who can do it. I mean, throwing across your body is easier. You, you have more ability to, to drive leverage doing that. When you throw only a third of your body or a quarter of your body like Pat Mahomes can do, and you get any kind of zip on the ball, that's really amazing. In this case, Lamar had less than his normal throwing stride, obviously, to work with here, and uh, and he still got off a beautiful, precisely on-target throw to Andrews, and Andrews made the catch, and we were happy. There's his history. There you go. Yeah. How about the second play? You want to talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about the play to Marquise Brown on the naked boot. I think this is critical that they continue to incorporate this into the game plan. What we've been seeing a lot of this year is pass rushes intended to make Lamar have to step up in the pocket, and then he's greeted by a linebacker or two ready to tackle him. And this is the formula, right? If, if people haven't figured it out yet, that's like the way that you slow down Lamar. You can't let him outside the pocket. Once that happens, it's game over. You, you're going to lose. He's too quick. He's too improvisational. He keeps his eyes down the field like we were talking about. That's the way you lose. So you have to contain him in the pocket and make him have to step up and then have people there ready to greet him. Um, this play... It, necessarily like doesn't allow for that he's too fast again when he does that naked boot he's creating the space and that's really hard to defend i think that's a play that is really high leverage for him and he can really pick apart a defense so uh we saw it there and he was so close to scoring the touchdown a 30 31 yard pass uh it was a beauty to be sure and it was one of these ones that was in the in the middle of a pack of defenders in fact I think I was going back to look and see what the Ravens had. Yeah, they had two guys left in to block. So Ricard was actually a set blocker, which means he stays at the line of scrimmage. And, and Boyle chipped before going out, so he's obviously restricted in terms of what pattern he can run. But it's beautiful to be able to find one guy down the field 
under those circumstances and uh, and hit him in the way he did in in traffic. I thought uh, Brown was going to get in the end zone on the play, uh, which we haven't seen him really take a lot of risks with his body that would allow that kind of a play to to get home. But uh, this was one of them where he where he went a little extra for it. I know. I thought he was going to get it too. I had him in one of my uh, daily fantasy sport lineups, and it is. It had been nice. <laughs> I was that like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Let's go. Let's move on to to one negative thing about Jackson is that I'm still seeing him turn the wrong way on pistol play action plays. And I know we want to talk about the pistol a little bit later here, but um, in, in terms of that, he he may have some sort of a little left right thing. So what happened here is. The running back came up to his right, and he turned left to make the play-action fake. And it was going to be a play-action fake either way, but didn't fake anybody out because the play-action fake was on the wrong side. So it's, so it's one of these things where it's still important that he gets the left-right part you know, correct. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, it's, a, it's a shame we see that occasionally. Yeah, I, I honestly haven't noticed that too much. Um, I have seen it once or twice, but... Um... Yeah, obviously it, it ruins the effect. It, it had some. It 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 had some last year, but they've got to change now. Probably the way they teach it. For, first of all, there may be a mnemonic necessary to get him to remember left or right. But there, but there's also another way to do it, and you can you can teach people left or right by teaching them what they have in their hand. So if, he's always got the football in his right hand, right? So he should be. He should be, and that's not true. He might be running with it. He might have it in his left arm. But 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 most of the time, when he's coming back from from a shotgun, he's got the ball in his right hand. He just has to turn the direction of his right hand and think of it that way instead of, um, you know, getting confused about it. But anyway, he's got, mm-hmm. he, he may have some little problem. Uh, I I don't want to speak ill of Maureen in this way, but but occasionally we're out driving or doing around the house, and and I say it's on your right, and and she starts <laughs> to reach her left, and I go, no, your other right. And I, I do it too. I probably do it 15% of the time, and, and she probably does it 35% of the time. We just we notice there's a there's scoring of these things going on. So uh, anyway, oh, that's great. Har- Harbaugh asked that question by the way a lot of the podium. I wonder if we came and critiqued you at your house if you'd be as good. Well, we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we have the scoring going on here too. So. <laughs> All right. All right. So what else we got? Uh, the interception. Obviously, it's like the first scratch on a new car to me. You know, you can put me down. Just let me just say this. He had seven yeah. intercept, seven touchdowns and one interception in the first quarter. Put me down for four times that. 28 <laughs> and four for the year. I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a good streak. You won't lose games that way. No. no not too many, anyway. You know, it's a, it'd be a winning formula. Anyway, mm-hmm. let's talk, uh, let's talk some, some plays and some scheme, because I know you had some good ideas coming out of this and and you know i sent you my notes and whatnot and you had some ideas also why don't you bring up the first thing that you're introducing guinness nitro cold brew coffee beer blending the smooth creamy nitro taste of guinness with hints of coffee chocolate and caramel guinness nitro cold brew coffee beer your new favorite part of the day look for it where guinness is sold must be 21 and over to purchase please enjoy responsibly diageo beer company new york new york Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, 
home to any possibility. U.S. only. Concerned about in terms of the Ravens' offense and and what you think what you would like to see scheme wise. Yeah, so we've been talking about it on Ravens Recap, and I've heard you guys talking about it uh, on the show as well with the offensive reviews. What is going on with the pistol this year? This was a bread and butter uh, formation for the Ravens. Honestly, I think it lacks um, or it doesn't have many disadvantages. Um, the only thing I can really think of is the QB sneak and the the snap is slightly less uh, safe, so to speak. But you get to have a little bit of extra time. You're able to set up more um, read option that way. I just I honestly don't understand why we're not using it more. I think it's critical to the way this offense ticks. And I think it's one of the reasons we're not seeing as effective a run game. You take away the 50-yard run and then one of the chunk plays for either running back, and it's a very poor performance uh, running the ball, all things considered, compared to what we're used to and the talent that we have. Yeah, I, I, I could see people putting it down that way. Lamar had a, a barbelled game of you know one big run and another one medium run and then a lot of short runs or even a loss. But he, but it's it's. I want to go back to what you said first because I want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. So when you're talking about the pistol, and I, and and I'm talking about, so obviously we know what that is. You know, it's obviously one back behind Lamar and and uh, and fullback position usually to the side and also behind or even with Lamar. But but what I want to make sure we don't confuse it with is I'm not talking about when he's otherwise under center. If he needs to be under center to run the sneak, no problem. I understand that has to happen. If you need to be under center to run play action once in a while just to fool your opponent uh, in some way, that's fine too. Um, but but if if you're going to run most of your plays out of the shotgun, that's what the Ravens do, then I think you're better off running them out of the pistol if there's any chance that you're going to run the ball or empty. And the, 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 the one that they're doing is having a running back to the side of Jackson. And so there, that's the one that I just don't think there are, um, I don't think it gives you as many options in terms of, um, you know, what you can do. Now, Roman, I'm sure, says, no, you're, that's wrong. We, we have bet more options to pass the ball when we have Lamar keep his eyes straight forward on the field. So maybe something like that that I don't completely get. But I like the time that the pistol creates. Cause I think the, the, the mere point you're in the mesh is, is a slightly delayed time through that side. I'm not saying it's half a second or anything like that, but all it has to be is maybe, maybe 0.1 seconds or maybe 0.15 seconds. Um, but it has to be enough for the uh, double team blocks to get a little bit more action on the guys they're hitting. It has to be a chance for those linebackers to not take that additional step that they need to do to react to play action, you know, for, for example, you know, and it gives you that bigger division between, Hey, it's a run at the last second or Hey, it's play action at the last second. It gives you a little bit more of a frozen edge defender in terms of keeping him there and not rushing the passer or not making a decision to go after either one or the other of Lamar or the running back. So I, I like it for a lot of reasons, but, but the main reason is creation of time, not the creation of, an opportunity to, to throw a pass downfield. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's, it's totally a timing thing. I agree with you. And that's what I'm hoping that they are able to get more of. And obviously, we're saying they're getting good time um, and, and how he's able to extend the plays, but I, they could get more, right? Like there's, there's an opportunity for them to bring back this formation and, and I think use it more than they are. All right. Oh, let's. I know we talked about two players that were wondering: is there a bigger role for them in this offense? And the the, the first is Patrick Ricard. Um, Patrick Ricard had 
more snaps than any of the running backs. It's the second time it's happened this year. I believe this is the second time it's happened all time. But uh, he had, now let's see real quickly here. No, not going to be real quickly because I have to reset here. But in any case, he had more he had more snaps than any of the running backs. So they have this obviously by committee running back situation that's very evenly divided. But Ricard is the fullback in every case. Played 25 snaps in this game. Edwards 22, Dobbins 21, and Ingram 14. So he's getting more snaps than any of them. Should they be doing more to incorporate him in the passing game in particular since his motion often leads to a situation that you want other teams to respect? Right. I think you're talking about it mainly from a respect perspective and um, kind of to fill in more for the Hurst role. Is that kind of what you're getting with? Uh, well, I, I certainly don't, I don't think he, he really can be a downfield receiver the way Hurst is, although I think he might've ran one of those patterns in this game. It was kind of weird. He actually Mm -hmm. left the line of scrimmage from a, from a tight end position to, to run a pattern, but I'm really more talking about when he goes in motion, usually it's from left to right to, uh, he can either make a block or he can go out into the flat and be ready to catch a ball. And he's, he's caught several balls out there that way last year. I, I'm wondering why they wouldn't try and use him more there if for no other reason than to show it to opposing defensive coordinators to say, hey, you know, we might do this, and then we got a 300-pound guy on the outside against your 200-pound safeties and corners. Oh, sure. I mean, we've seen him with the ball in his hand, and it's actually pretty entertaining. Uh, I've never seen someone pop up so fast when they kind of like you know fell over to catch the ball to get in the end zone, right? I mean, 300 pounds, he, he sprung like a, like a spring, you know? <laughs> it was incredible. Um, that, that really was remarkable how quickly he was able to pop up from that and, and make sure he got in the end zone. But he's, he, the guy almost never goes down to contact. And you know, the, the characteristic I love about him is if he gets pushed out of bounds, he wants to maintain its feet. It's almost like it's more important than, than not getting pushed out of bounds. <laughs> and, and then he, he won't like flip the ball to, to, to any kind of official. He always has to go over it and hand it to him. <laughs> and it's like he has to stick it in his belly. It's like nobody else is touching this ball. I'm not risking anybody else touching it, even if I'm, you know, just tossing yeah. it up. It's always like, it's just it's weird <laughs> to see, but I, I love it. I really enjoy watching him play. Oh, yeah. No, I totally think it would be valid for him to get the ball more. And also, like you said, it just increases the what is he doing in their perspective. Um, I think they're doing a ton of that with, with Gus Edwards, by the way. The amount of times he's in on a pass place is kind of outstanding, considering that he's definitely number three when it comes to uh you know best hands and and best uh after the catch capabilities so they're they're not shy with doing it with edwards um and i think honestly in a way ricard has more to offer because it's it's more surprising yeah i i would agree with that and now we've we probably hit on ricard too much here but but i know we want to talk about duvernay but what would you like to see them do with duvernay yeah um Maybe it's maybe it's not. I know they're very different players in a way, but uh, if you've been watching how the Jaguars have been using Lavisca Chenault um, and allowing him even to rush plays and um, and just create, get the ball in his hands and say go. I love that kind of uh, interactions with the player uh, with his skill set. You know, he's blazing fast. He's pretty strong uh, for his stature, and I. I just want to see him evolve more. I want to give him a shout out because I don't understand, you know, you don't do a special team show for obvious reasons. The guy, when he gunned, <laughs> was at the 20 yard line when the um, the opposing player caught the ball. Um, I mean, he is just making electric plays every time he's on the field. And we saw him just get missed by Lamar. 
um, in a pass play down the field uh, in this game. I just want to see more opportunities because he's just electric with the ball. And um, at the end of the day, this is what I was basically asking of Haskins. I was saying, you know, you got playmakers. I thought Antonio Gibson looks like a young Le'Veon Bell. And uh, Terry McLaurin is an excellent receiver. If he can just get the ball out of his hands and let them create, the offense could could tick. Um, and, and actually, Sims, it was kind of unfortunate he was a little banged up. I think he's a player that has an opportunity to, to spark, too, on their side. So I, I, we see a lot of these young players on the Ravens side, Boykin as well. Like Once he has the ball in his hand, um, it could be very exciting. And it's just like, I want to see him, uh, Lamar be a point guard and, and divvy it up. And he's pretty good about that. You know, he does get the ball around. Um, but I, I, I just think they need to generate these opportunities to get these guys in a rhythm. Right. And if they are doing some of that. They're clearly doing some scripted plays for Boykin. Uh, they, they could do more for Duvernay to get him in on some scripted plays. But I agree with you about the special teams comment in particular that, you know, his, his play as a gunner, has to be helping him with the team in terms of getting opportunities on offense, given who Harbaugh is. Like he, he's going to say, oh, give me one scripted play for Duvernay anyway. I liked what he did on the, on the punt cutting. Wouldn't surprise me at all if that's part of it. Harbaugh does a lot of things, by the way, behind the scene that aren't always apparent, that are like little favors for, for good practice or whatnot. I remember one time he sat somebody down as a starter, and it was, it was obviously very pointed, but there was a, another cornerback who came in, and we're not talking Brandon Carr, another cornerback who came in for one play to start the game, and he, and, he, and he kept somebody from getting a game started. And it had to be for bad practice habits, being late, something like that. You, you know it, and he, and he won't talk about it to the general public. But there's no other reason. There's no <laughs> other explanation for it. Yeah. All right. So good, we, we all want more for DuVernay. We're not just exact, we're, we're, we're not exactly sure how we you know one thing we haven't seen from Duvernay is for him to run a really deep route down the field and try and be a nine route guy or or a you know a third or fourth vertical on a play right yeah we haven't seen that yet and uh I think it's totally something he can do we know his hands are pretty excellent and yeah just get the guy the, the ball let's see what can happen it's exciting I, the points have been made for for Lamar that He's you can run a five vertical route if you want because you don't need a check down guy, which most four vert routes have a check down guy. And the most famous four vert route in Ravens history is the Mile High Miracle is was four vertical routes. And, and Jacoby Jones was the guy on the outside. And he didn't even have to know who it was. And Flacco may have known or may have not known, but he knew what he said after it in describing the plays that he knew he had an outside receiver that was going to be there. So he just kind of had to put the ball up under those circumstances. He was under duress. So he might not have known that it was Jacoby Jones at the time. But anyway, with, with, uh, uh, with the Ravens, you, you can actually run five verticals now, which usually means because of the spacing on the field, you don't actually want to run five guys deep, but you run four deep and you run one deep crosser. You know, so, so they're all deep routes, but, the, but Lamar is his own check down in terms of leaving the pocket if that needs to be the case. And with the time to throw he's been able to generate this year, I want to see more of that. I want to see more you know, generated vertical opportunities, not by just single one-on-ones, but by, hey, let's, let's throw a bunch at them and see if they, their cover three can, can deal with this. You know, the other team's going to play a lot of cover three at certain times. So, you know, they, they'll play generally a lot of zone defense, period, against Lamar. So why not test it occasionally with a four-vert play or even a five-vert play that's going to really put some stress on that? 
Yeah, you're just making me excited to watch the Cincinnati game. Hopefully someone's listening. <laughs> That'd be fun. All right. Skill position players. We usually alternate here. Why don't you go ahead and pick one, and we'll, uh, we'll go down whatever ones you want to talk to for three or four exchanges here. Sure. Yeah, so let's talk about Andrews. Um, he had two kind of down games after a huge week one, and um, you know questions with his hands. Just it wasn't a target problem. It was a hands problem, uh, particularly against the Chiefs. It was good to see that he got involved. He was effective and, and made plays. Um, we know he can do it. We've talked. Uh, I've heard you talk on the show as well about his drop problem. It's a it's a thing. It's a known bug, um, and I, I think we need to. Uh, you know, again, it's hard. I, I'm basically asking for this from a lot of the players, but it just it's getting them their confidence up and getting a a strong first start with them. Uh, I think it's a huge uh, bonus because the Ravens need to start. Uh, strong and fast in order to like play their best ball. Like you talked about, you know, when they're ahead, they don't lose, um, <laughs> which is obvious. Like that, that's a good way to start. But um, I think it's a, it's really important to get that rhythm going right away. It it definitely helps the Ravens in in terms of who they are DNA wise to be able to pound the pound the rock down the other team's throat and also to play big turnover defense in the second half of games when they lead and and you know lean more heavily on their dime as opposed to other packages, which which typically leaning on the dime when you're ahead is usually a pretty damn good thing. They they didn't make it work against the Chiefs, but otherwise they've been very effective. Go back to Andrews, though, for a second. Um, he's got a 60% catch rate this year. That's after going three for three in this game. He actually went through a, see, how many game period would it be? 14 plus three, 17 game period where his catch rate was only 58%. And that is scarily low for a tight end. It's just not acceptable. So that through week two of last year, he was cut a, had caught 16 of 17 balls. And then all of a sudden, he has a 58% catch rate for a, you know, a, uh, what I say, 17-game period. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a real problem for a tight end. Wet or not. And there was a lot of wet games last year. It's a horrible, horrible year for wet weather, but still not acceptable. All right, I'll, I'll bring up a player. I, Miles Boykin is a guy I've been calling for more targets. You know, f- there's a couple of ways you can get him targets. You can obviously script targets for him directly where you know they're on the sheet at the start of the game and you, you talk to Lamar at halftime. You say, okay, I want to open up the third quarter with a scripted play to Boykin. You can throw back shoulders to him. You can be part of the regular trust mechanic of I look for Boykin here when I'm in trouble in this situation kind of thing. Um, but you know, one of his targets came from the punter. In this game doesn't really count you know he was one of three otherwise catching the ball and uh you know he just he needs something else where the i think where roman develops the trust with lamar that the play is going to work regularly and that when he looks to it as the first read it's an easy read and he says i've seen him catch it so many times i'm going to put it here i have the confidence he's going to go get it right it's hard um, the Ravens are a more run-heavy team than most, and there's not that many opportunities to go around. Good point. I, I understand. Like, this is a really difficult problem for Roman to solve, and, I mean, that's why he's one of the best offensive coordinators in the league. Um, he has a lot of targets that, if they get involved and they get hot, are scary. It's just a matter of how do you incorporate all of them. Yeah. You know, Ravens have so much invested in Miles Boykin at this point in terms of him playing well. And I, I just I want to remind people we're not very far removed from the wide receiver free agent treadmill years 
when the Ravens would spend a lot of cap dollars every year going out and finding these retread loser, Crabtree, <laughs> you know, M- Macklin guys who would come in and, and Wallace, even I really put in the same category, even though he's a little better, uh, guys who weren't very good to, to, to come in and play for big dollars and who their future we didn't own. So a lot of draft capital invested here, finding out what they have in Duvernay, in Prochet, in Boykin, making sure that Brown is the player he can be. Um, is all very important. It's great to get some production out of Willie Sneed, but but those guys are really the future of the Ravens, and they need to make sure that that they know what they have with those players, so they can reduce the amount of draft capital they spend on the on the position and the amount of cap dollars they spend there. Yeah, and let's go straight to Sneed. I think he's been an underappreciated weapon in this offense, uh, as you have in your notes. He's had ten targets this season, uh, I believe, one or two touchdowns, and. Um, and and he's uh have a seventy percent catch rate. Um hundred percent. Oh, hundred percent. I'm sorry. He never had a seventy percent with uh with Breeze. Yep. Okay, sorry. Um yeah, I mean he's been money. Okay, yeah, hundred percent totally. I actually thought maybe he didn't have uh perfect, but like relatively good. Uh that's yeah, that's incredible. Um and again, it's it, it's it's unfortunate for him, right? As we've been talking about, we want to see these uh, draft picks prosper. They are the future of the franchise. Then you have this this veteran who's actually not even that old, all things considered, and he's just producing quietly, doing his job. And uh, I think it deserves recognition here. Yeah, good point. I mean, he'll be he'll be twenty eight in ten days. That really is not that old compared to a lot of the free agent receivers the Ravens have had. And they made a. Yeah. He was a guy they they got when he was a restricted free agent with the Saints. So the Saints didn't tender him. They didn't tender him. Yeah, they they put a low tender on him, which meant that he did, he was going to be paid something less. And the Ravens then offered him, I think, three years for ten million or something, and that the Saints didn't match it. So they got him more early than they normally would an, another player, and uh, and he looked good. He was a heck of a receiver for New Orleans if you look back. Yeah. In terms of of what he did there with. Uh, you know, over a hundred targets his first two real years in the league. Yeah, no, he's he's actually had a, a silently uh, productive year or uh, career so far. Yeah. All right. Uh, anybody else we need? To, I'm. I think I'm okay with what we've talked about here. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that there's anybody else we need to really hit on. Anybody else you'd like to talk about? Well, it's just an overall topic. I, I'm a huge believer in the ability of Dobbins. Uh, Peter on our show compared him to the uh, the stud um, minor leaguer who like is trying to find his way into the rotation. You have a good starter in uh, Ingram and a great closer with uh, Edwards, and it's just trying to find the way to get the ball in his hands. He's electric with the opportunities he's had. A couple of the run designs this week weren't great for him. I felt they were um, positions no one would succeed in, and, and he was no better. But... Um, Particularly when he has just a, a, a little bit of space, he is extremely dangerous. And I just I want to see more out of a guy that got such high draft capital and was such a surprise pick for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't disagree, but I also I'm looking at it, and one of the questions was, you know, do we really have roles for these guys, the three of them? And it does seem to me like there is kind of a role that's more developing. There's, and I I can describe kind of what each one does. And in in the case of Edwards. He's the closer, and they talk about him publicly as being the guy they want coming in and getting tough yards. That is a hell of a job, by the way, to have to come in and be the guy who runs when everybody else knows you're going to run. Mm-hmm. That's, a re- that's a really difficult job. I think we'll agree on that. Yeah. 
Oh, and he's doing a really good job. <laughs> and, and doing it really well. And he also is the short yardage back, which means those plays are also going to be lower than average run things. So when, when he posts these great gaudy yard per carry numbers, you know, it's really special. People should really realize just, just how special that is, that he can, you know, put up five yards of carry. And I don't know where he is exactly this year when he's, when he's uh, you know, asked to do it under such adverse circumstances where everybody's expecting the run, they're packing the box, they're using three defensive linemen, you know, on those plays typically. Uh, you know, what are, his chances are just not as good. But anyway, I, I love what he's done. I think everybody does. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Ingram's just all reliable. I mean, the way that he's been able to produce this year, I was a little concerned with the injury at the end of the year that something might, you know, they might have known something. That's one of the reasons they went for Dobbins so early. Uh, but no, I mean, he looks like himself, and uh, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, he's he's been he's been fine. I mean, he's a he's a good receiver, and he's a guy that that they like to use at the beginning of games. Um, he's a guy you can use on first and second down and not really give away whether you're running or passing. Uh, Dobbins is that guy too, by the way, but, mm-hmm. but they're just, they're not you know, willing to give all those snaps away from Dobbins to Ingram at this, from Ingram to Dobbins at this point. What I think distinguishes Dobbins is that not only can he run and, and he, he can obviously do some of those, you know what I want to make the point about Ingram though? He's the master of the mesh point at this point. He's really the guy who's mastered it to the greatest degree. And he deserves credit for that. Lamar's great season last year, and his as well, was largely due to the fact that he's very patient in moving through that mesh point and creating that time and space for everybody on the field, for the Ravens to challenge more areas on that field as that, as that happens. Absolutely. Good. Going back to Dobbins, the, th- the place where he's distinguished uh, himself with the Ravens, and it's been in relatively few snaps this year, has been as a pass blocker. So they've had him in on third down a lot. And I know why they, they want to have him in on third down primarily because he's a good receiver. But they've also had him on third down, and he's, been, he's really distinguished himself from the others as a pass blocker. I don't think Edwards has been terrible or anything, but Edwards is not a very polished pass blocker. Dobbins has some unbelievable undercut ability in him that we've seen a couple of times in the last two games where he just could he – could, he could flip a uh, blitzing linebacker or safety completely over, and it's, just, it's fun to watch. And I've loved that uh, that little snippet they post on social media of him waving Lamar goodbye on the 50-yard yes. run. I didn't, yes. I didn't notice that live. That was great. <laughs> I, I missed it live, too. That is, that is fantastic. It's, uh, you just kind of catch it on that, on that end camera. They use that camera a lot more in the games, it seems, right now. And frankly, as an analyst, I'm really annoyed by the camera angles being quarterback-centric this year because I want to I score the formation. I want to, you know, the first thing we write down when we score offensive line play is, okay, that was 3-1-1, which means three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back. And, we, we, you know, I have to be able to see where they're lined up to make that judgment. I'm not, you know, it's not the position of the player that I'm using. So anyway, the, the, the uh, uh, you know, when we go back to that, I, I'm, I'm bothered by that. But that back camera angle gives you some incredible stuff you just don't see. And, and you know, during the play, you probably really appreciate having it there. Yeah. All right. All right. How about how about we talk MVPs for this game? And uh, do you have a separate list, or do you want to just uh, talk through my list, or what would you like to do? Yeah, we can we can just go right ahead. I would give my uh, first one to Gus Edwards. Uh, like you said, that's, your, it's that's a, your number three, right? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll give it to uh, Gus Edwards. I mean, like you said, he has a hard job, and he's doing it incredibly well. And as much as I'm like a little upset, maybe he's a a, a carry vulture for uh, for Dobbins. At the end of the day. I mean, he's producing. He's doing a great job. He deserves it. Do you have Dobbins in a fantasy league or something? 
I have in a lot of fantasy leagues, but it's honestly not even why. I just I think he's an exciting player. Sure, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I do actually have him in a lot of places, and uh, but it's more so like when he gets the ball in his hand, it's it it could be anything, and I think that's what's exciting about him. And uh, I just like also he's like he seems like a gamer. Uh, he's just very competitive. He's one of the first guys out there uh, during warmups, and um, I'm I'm just excited for his career. Yep. Me too. Me too. Okay, my number three guy is Andrews. Uh, good game of reconnecting. It wasn't a lot of catches, three catches, but uh, they were big. And uh, and they were really a big part of this game, and certainly in terms of the two touchdowns. Yep. For me, it was uh, Lamar. Uh, had a great game, all things considered. And uh, it was exciting to see him spring a long run. I, I, I noted it right away. I was like, oh, that's the longest of his career because yep. it's been a lot of conversation how he hasn't had one. Uh, you know, like relatively, and he won this year, and I was glad to see it. Yeah, it's it's one thing you you know you hear other coaches talk about a you know it could he could have a seventy yard run if he does that. Well, Lamar doesn't really have that kind of speed. Uh, I I don't think he has the great long speed to run away from the defensive backs in this league with the kind of ease people assume he can do. We even maybe, might have even saw some of it on this play. I mean, it's very well blocked play, and he still had trouble getting into the end zone. Celebrated a little bit early. Maybe, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I, I, he's he's got plenty enough speed, but his his big asset. I just want to keep reminding people is reading opponent leverage, and he he seems to always kind of be going in third gear because his biggest concern is how do I make the next guy miss, and uh, it's 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 great to see a runner like that. My number two guy is uh, Orlando Brown uh, stepping in at a position, even though his grade wasn't terrific in this game. He just got a C. It was a uh, incredibly important C for this Ravens offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, just to counter that, I'm going to go with Fluker. Uh, I understand that he had a very bad grade when you consider the holds, but I'm going to just discount those. I think the way that he was able to play when it really mattered uh, was pretty exceptional, and uh, just given the circumstances. Uh, I, I certainly understand that, too. I could have had Brown Fluker, as I often cheat with by, by naming two guys anyway. Jackson's my number one. Yeah. Uh, as a runner and a passer, obviously a huge game, and uh, I don't think we need to really say anything more about that. Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Mar Jackson. There you go. Josh, what do we got in the mailbag? All right, let's get to the mailbags. A little bit in there. Again, you can steer the show using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. First one up, we got Mike, who says, I watched the all twenty two on Game Pass this morning, and what is your opinion on Greg Roman's pass play design? Uh okay. I, I about the only thing I'd say about it is what some of the things we said earlier about the four verticals, which basically comes down to this point. I would like them to threaten more of the field on a more consistent basis. So basically, uh, show your willingness to go anywhere on the field with the football with Lamar and, and basically force them to defend it as best they can. Um, and then by showing it, you also got to be willing to do it when that's where the opportunity is. You know, And it's certainly what Patrick Mahomes is really good at is is finding that weakest spot on the field and and i'd like for you know this is not a roman thing but maybe to create additional trust with receivers uh he can have some scripted plays that that support that as well whether that's slants to boykin or uh some type of sluggo route maybe to boykin that creates a deep opportunity for him yeah i think you you summed up pretty well those would be the overall things that i would like to see more of and Overall, I also would be a little bit more interested in screenplays. I think they have the personnel to do them effectively, and it's just a matter of incorporating them. 
Yeah, we saw how well Washington did with their screenplays, and it was a matter of you know getting tight ends on the outside and getting their bigger receivers. The Ravens do have those guys, so you know you get Duvernay out there on the same side where you have, uh, say, Boykin and Boyle, or Boykin and Andrews. I mean, those guys are gonna be fine in terms of way outsizing whoever they have to block on the edge of a formation like that and creating a big opportunity for a player like Duvernay. So I'd love to see it too. All right, next up, have the Ravens decreased the number of fits they create on offense this year? I'm sorry, what was the word? Fits. F-I-T-S? F-I-T-S. Um, okay, I, I don't know the answer to that. Now, the guy who's a real expert in offensive formations and what they run off of in terms of whether it's counter or, or you know, how they're exactly moving linemen around, the, the, the concept is this, that – um, your linemen are always playing their same assignments, but your skill position players are the icing on the cake that go with that. And that's the way that, that Coach explains it, Coach Evans. And, and, and basically, that, that you can do a lot of things that are the same with linemen where you, you, uh, you do different things with your skill position players. I don't really know the answer to that. It seems like since they're doing more running from this back next to them, it could well be that there are you know, more starting formational fits, but I couldn't really, I honestly can't tell you the score offensive line play that they're doing more uh, or less of total offensive line design concepts. I would like to comment on this because I think it kind of goes into one of the conversations we had in the production meeting that didn't really come up in, in the show. And that's the concept that I think after a quarter of the season has now been played, the Ravens' identity this year on offense is not as clear as it was. And I think that's what they mean maybe by fits. Because even when you knew exactly what they were going to do to you, last year the Ravens just did it anyways, right? I think this year, even the Ravens aren't 100% sure what they're going to do to succeed against you. They've been really kind of all over the place um, as far as the calls and uh, the approaches they take drive after drive. Um We've been seeing success. They're they're they have a lot of skill, but I think it's not as much of an identity this year. And I think that's just because of the amount of characters they're trying to get involved. Um, that's just my take on it. So I, you're, you're you're saying that the number of players they're trying to get involved in the offense is actually holding back the offense from de- defining an identity for themselves. Somewhat, I know, and it kind of like is counterintuitive to what we've been saying. We want these guys to have more opportunity. Um, so I, that's why I've been saying like Greg Roman has a really hard job on his hands because there's all these players that we want to have find their kind of roles, their niches that are kind of ambiguous right now. And we see like potential for this potential for that, but we're not sure. Um, but it's hard given the sap counts and it's hard as far as game flow and it's hard as far as rhythm to do all these things. So it's a really difficult right. balance. I, I, I understand that, and I think one of the things I heard from Roman during the offseason, which seems to be true in terms of how he rotates the skill position players, is that he wanted to have a lot of different personnel packages that he would use, and he would be able to rotate them by down. The Ravens aren't a no-huddle team. And though, by the way, they're not ineffective when they have to run a hurry-up offense and go to the line of scrimmage and make a play and make a play and make a play and make a play. Mm-hmm. They've been great in the last two minutes and you know, having real fast-scoring really drives. Yeah. But, but they haven't tried to make that the identity of the offense. And they could, but, but, they, but they haven't tried to. What, what they've tried instead to do is multiple personnel t- groups to wear the opponent down, which is the other main way. You, if you can run a fast no-huddle, you can get the pass rush very tired – and that could create great opportunity for Lamar, but you got to stay with your same 11. 
If you go the other way and you could do multiple personnel groups, then you're trying to get the uh, more of the secondary and linebackers tired out with the fresh legs you're running in against them. So they're really they're doing more of that. Obviously, the pass rush can get tired then too. But you know you have two options in the way to do it. The Ravens have chosen this this personnel group rate way, which is really the way the Saints ran it for uh, a number of years during the last decade. So I'm not saying it's a losing proposition by any stretch, but uh, you know maybe it is. Maybe it's something they can they can change even within a game and and try it a different way, or certainly within a season. All right. Now, uh, final final question. You got. You'll switch a little over to the other side of the ball because you know that the problem with sports fans is when a player that you like leaves and goes with another team, you always think maybe he can come back. <laughs> so the Cowboys have released Brandon Carr today. Does he fit into this team? There are ways in, in which he does, and let me I'll be I'll be quick about this. But he, he definitely fits in from a, from a standpoint of he's a versatile guy who can play all the positions that they could be short at right now. He can play outside corner, he can play slot corner, and he can play safety. The question is, is he really a good cornerback anymore to the point where they want to entrust the defense to what he does? And I think there are elements of what he does as a cornerback that would still be good. Namely, could he press guys off the slot and do the other physical things that are close to the line of scrimmage off the slot, play shallow crosses well, really play his zone responsibilities tightly, as we have not seen out of Patrick Queen, for example. I think from that perspective, he'd be a good pickup. I think if the ideal guy they want to pick up is just to pick up a, a starting slot corner. And so I, the idea of, of trading for Logan Ryan uh, you know, makes a lot of sense to me in terms of, of uh, you know, how he could fit with the Ravens. He's only on a one-year deal now with the Giants. Are you not concerned about spending cap dollars on a guy because it's probably going to be the veteran minimum on this year? He's, um, I mean, I would love to spend the vet minimum, so that's great on Carr. But Logan Ryan actually had most of his salary paid as a bonus, so it's really the draft capital you would spend. And I still don't think it's much. I think if you're the Giants, you're trying to get rid of him. I think he might have two and a half million to be paid during the entire season. Might be three, but then a quarter of that's already gone. So it's like a, it's like two cap vet minimum players that you'd be bringing on and expending towards your your total cap cap expenditures. Gotcha. Yeah, I was talking about Carr, but that makes sense, too. That's good to know. All right. Well, Alec, uh, tell people how they can follow you on Twitter and tell us a little bit about Ravens Recap. Sure. Uh, Ravens Recap is a show that I do with uh, two really long friends that I've watched the Ravens with for a lot of my life. Uh, Peter, in particular. I've known him since I was five. Uh, We've been great friends uh, our whole lives. And then uh, I actually met Chris in college, and he knew Peter. Uh, from high school and it was kind of funny how that worked out and we decided to start a show together and we like to talk about um, kind of give our takes on some of the fan perspectives we've hear a lot of right like oh uh, you know everyone losing their minds about the Chiefs game we kind of wanted to bring that back down to life and uh, also just kind of provide that water cooler talk that you uh, might miss if you're an international fan um, or something of that nature so we try to um, bring that quality that Baltimore spirit to uh podcast you can find that ravensrecap.com and i tweet about the ravens um and give some additional opinions uh on twitter ravens underscore recap yeah by all means tag when you can anyway when you when you think of it make sure you tag alec at ravens recap because 
it really opens you to another group of fans who are going to comment on things. And I always encourage people, when we have guests on this show, tag people. Just, just get them involved in the conversation. And maybe you, know, you develop a new friend on Twitter. And that's what, that's what Twitter is. It's not about that count of followers because that count of followers has a lot of empty people who will never, never respond to you in any way. It's about how many really quality connections you can make with people who want to bounce things back and forth with you, add ideas, guys who want to challenge you in terms of your thoughts anyway. And, and uh, Alex, great for that. So I, I'd highly recommend not only following him, but, but tagging him when you have conversations like that. Thanks, Ken. All right. And over on filmstudybaltimore.com, you'll find the defensive podcast. Uh, with Gabe that came out yesterday, you'll find the defensive article. We've got the offensive article coming out tomorrow. We've got the Situation Room podcast up there if you haven't checked that out. Lots of great content over at filmstudybaltimore.com. Guys, you got to check out the Situation Room podcast. I listened to it on the way into work today. Fantastic. Really great stuff. Yeah, they're, they're great guys. We just had them on the defensive show each the last two weeks, and uh, and they're they're both very good. They both live out in L.A., but they're big Ravens fans, and uh, both very analytic, and uh, and it's a it's a good pod. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Sign off on that too. All right, Ken. Coming this week, we've got Know Your Foe and By the Numbers. How are they looking? Know Your Foe is we'll record tomorrow with a great X's and O's guy, another coach who we uh, uh, is a big fan of the Cincinnati Bengals. Going to tell us all about them. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, more than I've looked forward to a Know Your Foe episode in a while. And uh, I shouldn't say that because now our last. People have been on the show up. But anyway, this is this is another really good one. Let's put it that way. We've had all That's good guests right. this year. Right. Um, and then by the numbers, uh, we'll record either tomorrow or on Thursday with Dan Reese. And that's always a lot of fun. It's a very quick 10 or 12-minute uh, quick podcast that gives you 10 numbers that we think currently that reflect the state of the Ravens in some way. All right. That's exciting. Uh, stuff to look forward to as we finish out the week. Guys, we will talk again soon. Enjoy your day. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.